So Money episode 1180, Tiffany, the budget nista, Aliche. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Torabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. We started to realize and start to say like, you know, I don't like this feeling of shame, 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 blame, 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 which some people still play, which is so tired. Right. Um, you know, and so I'm, I'm so glad. I think there's just been an injection of new blood to say, no, I believe in accountability, but I don't believe in blame. And so I want you to identify what's actually happening and choose to, to fix that thing, not what someone has forced upon you. Welcome to So Money, everybody. A special interview today with our friend Tiffany Aliche as she celebrates the launch of her brand new book, Get Good With Money. So excited for Tiffany. We're going to talk about her 10-step plan for finding peace, safety, and harmony with your money. The subtitle of the book is 10 Simple Steps to Becoming Financially Whole. What does financially whole mean to Tiffany? This book was caught in a bidding war. Not surprising, nine different publishers wanted to get their hands on this book. I believe Get Good With Money has already soared to number one on Amazon, and I predict next is the New York Times bestsellers list. Without further ado, here is our friend Tiffany Aliche, the budget nista. Tiffany, welcome to So Money. Hey, my news, my fellow Jersey and now. Yes. I mean, basically your co-host of So Money. I've had you on more than probably anybody on this show and always, always welcome, always with the good stuff. This time is special, is really, really special because you, and this is launching, this episode is is airing on your book launch week. Congratulations. Get Good With Money is (laughs) out. Thank you. If I could do half of what you've done with your books, honestly, I would be Oh my gosh. Oh, well, you know, if we're going to be all kissing butts here, (laughs) I have to tell you that I was thinking about this interview and, you know, I think about you a lot, Tiffany. Um, (laughs) I do. I think about you in all the best ways. I think, you know, people who listen to this show may know our backstory, which is that we were fortunate to be seated next to each other many, many years ago at a work event. And it was that night that you told me your hopes and dreams and your goals for making an impact in people's financial lives. And you had a vision and it was very clear. And, and, you know, all these years later to watch you, your journey, making an impact, continuing to change lives. I am rooting for you. Like, you know, a lot. <laughs> I, you have a special place in my heart. I, I, I support almost everybody in this space. <laughs> almost. But you definitely, I don't know. I just, I always feel so happy for you when anything happens to you, whether it's like the NAACP nomination that you just received or your books coming out or, you know, seeing, seeing you on Queer Eye. But let's talk about this book because this is many years in the works. You've written many books yeah. and this is your first published with yeah. a publisher book, mm-hmm. which I understand received many bids. Mm-hmm. Nine. I couldn't believe nine bids. 
Well, take us back to that. Like, I think that's always interesting for people who may not be familiar with the book buying process. It's a very competitive. Mm-hmm. First of all, it's very hard to get a book, even get it interested. Like, there's so it's so competitive, and and obviously you are a standout. But nine offers that's really exceptional. You must have been, and your agent must have been pretty <laughs> thrilled. Honestly, I didn't. I had never been through the process. I literally have like six self published books before, so I had no idea about the process. I didn't know what was good or what was bad. But I started to formulate this theory that I thought this could possibly be a book because I I got became worried about my audience that they were succeeding in what I call financial silos where their credit was great, but no savings. They're saving, but they're not investing. They're investing, but they don't have insurance. And I thought, because as you know, I used to be a school teacher for 10 years. It's almost like I taught your kid his letters, but not his numbers. So I was getting like teacher anxiety. And so as I, I thought, okay, what is the whole, what's the whole lesson plan, Tiffany? What's the curriculum? And I thought, you know what? This curriculum, this financial wholeness theory where 10 aspects of your financial life come together to help you build a super strong financial foundation, like financial wholeness is the curriculum. Maybe that's the book. Right. And so then I was like, okay, I know I, I probably need an agent now. And even though some like two other um, like publishers had reached out, I knew better than to try to navigate those things on my own. So I reached out to like everyone's fave, Jean Chatsky. Shout out to mm-hmm. Jean. She invited me to speak at like South by Southwest EDU on a panel for like Time Magazine. And she and I asked her then, I'm like, do do you have an agent you can introduce me to? And she's like, yes, um, Heather Jackson. And I was like, okay. So Heather happened to live in the city. So I came to the city when it was open. We had lunch and she's just so badass, honestly. <laughs> like that's literally the only word, like I, I don't even curse, but that's the only word to use to describe Heather. She is amazing. She's tough. She's what did she teach smart. you? What You're tough. I think you're badass. Oh, so what no. did Heather teach big you? Old, big old baby. Just like, she's like, basically get all the things. They belong to you. You know, like you work really hard. And then what really like to me was like the, the moment when I knew this was kismet, um, I told her that like my favorite, one of my favorite like business books or books that I used to read when the preschoolers were sleeping during nap time was Tim Ferriss's um, For Our Work Week. Work week. Mm-hmm. Yes, I used to literally read it, take notes. And she was like, oh, that was my book. I'm like, <gasps> I'm sorry, come again. Oh was, my God. You know, I was like getting chills. She was like, yeah, that was my book. She was like, you know, that was, he didn't want to name it that, but I insisted. I'm like, you you picked the name? Wow. He wanted to name oh, it because this awesome. is so bro. He wanted to name it Adventures in Drug Dealing. Because I don't know if you remember. Oh, inside the, I know. Yeah. Yeah. How he like sold like <laughs> pharmaceuticals, whatever. Because, you know, that's such a bro thing. And she was like, yeah, no. <laughs> so what happened was at the time she wasn't an agent. She was on the publisher side and nobody wanted the book. So she said, I felt that there was something there. I saw something in him. And so she was the only publisher to put in an offer when she worked for that publisher at the time. And so she got the book. And I was like, wait, that book changed my life. Wow. Yes. I really appreciate that. It, having that instinct that Heather had, that like I saw something in him or I saw something in her, I feel like that's really lost these days where the first thing people want to know is like, how many Instagram followers do you have? And then yeah. they'll try to figure out if you're interesting. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, there is an art to that. It's sort of spotting the next guru or expert or influencer that has nothing really to do with, you know, their Twitter followers, exactly. but really just who they are. She never even um, asked that of me, which I love. She's just, yes. Tiffany, like at that lunch, she was just like, I like you. I think you've got such passion for this. And she was like, do you think 
maybe you have like an almanac in you. I was like, an almanac? No. I don't, I just thought that was something. I was just like, no. I feel like, like I have wholeness, not almanac. <laughs> Let's talk about financial. <laughs> Being financially whole, I think is a really a wonderful way to express all encompassing what yeah. you're teaching. Was that something that came about like the, the light bulb came about for the book or that is actually a term you have been using for years? No, well, that's a term I've been using for like a year or so. I, I even trademarked it. And that's what I thought, like when, when she told me to come back with like what I thought I wanted to write about, I was like, that is kind of the almanac, like financial wholeness. And so she told me, okay, write a proposal. And she was like, some proposals are like as much as like, 50 pages. And I was like, well, do people do two page proposals? I'm a little busy right now. <laughs> and she was like, write a proposal. It took me four months. Yes. Because it took forever. Because I, I, I mean, as you know, I have a lot yeah. of things going on. As, as you do. It's nerve wracking because you yes. want it to be done yesterday. Yes. But it's worth it putting in the work and effort up front. Did you That's find that? Yes. Did it pay off? Yes. She said, obviously nine offers. (laughs) She said, because here's the thing, I was going to write like some quickie, quickie proposal. And she said, you could do that, but then you'd have to, then you'd kind of have to really start to think about how you want to write this book. That if you almost pre-wrote the book and the proposal, then you just have to come back out and fill it out. And I was like, okay. So I really put a lot of time and effort. It took me like four months. My proposal ended up being like almost 60 pages. You work hard though. Like, I'm not surprised to hear that. I mean, you could have said me, it was like, the book is thick everybody this is a this is like a book for the ages (laughs) because I really I believe in explaining things in a way that anyone can understand so that's why the the book ended up being thick and it's the 10 steps and so she submitted the proposal Mm -hmm. I didn't know it was a lot or a little and she's like oh my gosh we got a hit and another and another and a chicken and a brother you know and I was like oh so it ended up being nine and I said is that good she said good it's four I was like, wait, what? (laughs) I couldn't believe it. I was like, why do they, why do they want me? Yes. And so I was, so then thankfully New York was open then. It was pre-COVID. I started to, I met with every publisher. We went to their office and it was like such a love fest. I was like. Did anybody pass on it? No. All nine put in, they met me and they were like, we want even more. And I was like, I kept asking Heather, like, what is it? And so somebody from um, one of the publishers, I asked her, like, she kept saying, this is, literally people told me this is the best proposal I've seen in years. And I'm like, well, what is it about the proposal? I couldn't wrap my mind. And then it was was a woman who told me, and I wrote it down somewhere. I'll see if I can remember. She was one of the major publishers. She said, you have three things in this book, Tiffany. One, a new concept. I'd never heard of financial homeless before. She said, two... Oh, what did she say? I can't remember the third thing, but the other thing is she said, you have a distinct voice. And I was like, where I talk, she's like, no, when I read the book, I could hear you. And now meeting you, I'm like, somehow you've captured yourself and it sounds like you in the book. Yeah. I was like, okay. And it was, wow. so you're a good writer is what she's saying. I guess so. which, is, which unfortunately is not always part of the prerequisite these days. Yeah. Like there's, you know, when, you know, when a real housewife's getting a book deal, it's like, it makes you think twice about yeah. the, uh, the industry, but um, let's get into it. Let's talk about some of these 10 steps without giving it all away, because we definitely want people to go and order the book and give it to all their family and friends. Um, one of the things that I really wanted to 
zone in on was one of your, one of the things that you talk about in the book, which is an assessment tool that helps you understand if you're not earning enough Mm -hmm. or if you're spending too much, if you have an an income problem or a budget problem, mm -hmm. a spending problem. How do you go about figuring this out? So it's really important that, so, well, first I'll say this, that you have to figure it out. If not, you're going to address the wrong thing. So like when I was a preschool teacher, super frugal, when I found that there wasn't enough money, I tend to do what most frugal people do, cut back even more. That's not the answer. I didn't have a spend too much issue. I have a don't make enough issue. Mm -hmm. How you identify is you start with like a basic bare bones budget, which is just a list of all your expenses. And then how much they cost you a month. And then from there, you want to code your expenses. You start with your bills. Anything that's a bill, you know, basically you have an obligation to pay this thing or else they can sue you. You're going to put a B next to all your bills. Mm -hmm. Then the next code is you're going to look at all your bills and ask yourself, are any of these utilities or do any of these bills change based upon my usage? which mostly are utilities. So like water, electric, maybe pay sewage. You're going to put a U in front of the Bs, those bills that fluctuate based upon your usage. Mm -hmm. And whatever's left over on your list, I like to call this a money list, you're going to put a C next to. These are your cash or like your choice expenses. So these are expenses that basically you've kind of chosen to invite this into your life in this way. So that's groceries, grooming, going out. But you always want to start with your Bs, then identify your UBs, and then everything else is a C. So how you know if you have a spend too much issue is if you add up all your C's and that's more than your B and UBs combined, you have a spend too much issue. That most Mm -hmm. of your money is going toward these choice cash expenses. Now, if you add up all your B's and your UBs and you find that that is where the bulk of your money is going, then you have a don't make enough issue because most of your money is really going to your financial responsibilities. And so sometimes people are frugal people tend to say, I'm going to get even more frugal. That's not the issue. So once I realized that like preschool teacher, Tiffany, I didn't have a spending issue. I realized I had to make more. So I started to tutor and to babysit. And I so I made about like maybe five or $6,000 extra a year doing that versus mm-hmm. no going out, no nut nail, no this, no. I was literally at one point, my parents gave me money because they thought, they were like, are you okay? You look like hell because I did. I was cutting back so much that I was like, I'm not going to get my hair done. I'm not going to wear, you know, like I'll wear the clothes that are falling apart. And it was like, that's not the issue. So that's how you identify your issue. You're absolutely right. There is this, I think, overemphasis on budgeting and frugality in the personal finance community. Now more than ever, we are talking about the importance of making more money. But when you and I kind of were both in the beginnings of our careers, and I'm a little bit, you know, older, but I I feel like- We're the same age. You know that, right? We are? Yeah, 41. 41. Ah, jinx. Wait, you're 41? Yes, I'm 41. What? I know I don't act like a 41. What is your skincare regimen? <laughs> Melanin. <laughs> okay. Don't you, th- what, okay, so my question is about why we have been so, whether it's hesitant, reluctant, ill-informed, to talk about the earning piece of all of this. When I worked at Money Magazine all those years ago, we never talked about how to ask for a raise or how to make more money. The assumption was if you were financially strapped, it was because you were overspending. It wasn't because maybe your employer was giving you enough money, but there's somewhere along the way the dialogue changed, the advice shifted. I'm so happy for, but what what do you make of that? Well, I think that it, it was very much a shame culture in personal finance. You're about you, 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 personal responsibility, bootstrap, bootstraps. And then the dialogue changed because I think that there was an injection of different type of people. Me, you, the Jason Vitugs, the Sandys, the, the Patrices, the, the Tanya, my fat finance, where it's like, why am I to blame? 
that my employer is like underpaying me? Or like, why am I to blame that things, even though I'm living the same life, things are jumping up in price. How is that my fault that all of a sudden, like pizza, it costs more money? Because I, I always bought pizza on Fridays for my kids or whatever, you know? So we started to realize and start to say like, you know, I don't like this feeling of shame, 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 blame, 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 which some people still play, which is so tired. Right. Um, you know? And so I'm, I'm so glad. I think there's just been an injection of new blood to say, no, I believe in accountability, but I don't believe in blame. And so I want you to identify what's actually happening and choose to, to fix that thing, not what someone has forced upon you. Yes. And I also think that, you know, as the world has revealed itself to us in many ways, whether that's like the fractures, I mean, in the systems where, you know, the pandemic has really highlighted that last summer social uprising and the Me Too movement, there have been a lot of issues that have brought a lot of these problems, these fractures, these systemic issues to the surface. Mm -hmm. And you wrote this book amidst a lot of these types of mm -hmm. confluences, whether that, you know, you wrote this book in the pandemic, you wrote it as we were witnessing the Black Lives Movement mm -hmm. um, gain momentum, mm -hmm. you did it during a recession. Mm -hmm. So what do you want people to take away from your book in that context? What I really wanted people to take away is that you can get good with money no matter what you make, no matter what you do for a living, no matter where you live, no matter what your gender is. No, you know, like, cause I, I, there's this sometimes a sense that I can't, you know, you have to be a certain type of person to, to get good with your money. You have to have a certain level of education. And that's just not true. I wanted to create, I wanted to democratize financial education that like, no, you can, everyone can achieve financial wholeness because financial freedom, although I, I think it's, it's a great movement. I, let's be real. Everyone's not going to have a pile of money where they can't work anymore, but they don't have to work anymore. That's just not going to happen for everyone. So does that mean then there's no, no good finance for you? You know, like, no, I just felt like if, if it, it can't just be all or nothing, you either reach financial freedom, you don't have to work anymore or, oh, well, you know, you're financially a mess. No, there had to be something else. And because I really do believe honestly, financial freedom, few people will reach that, but financial wholeness, everyone can reach it. Everyone. The, the 10 components are saving or budgeting, savings, debt, credit, learning how to earn. That's the first core components. And then it's investing, insurance, getting your money team together. It's your net worth. And then it's estate planning. That's kind of like the next level. So this is your financial foundation. And I think the flavor that 2020 gave me when I was writing the book is I literally looked around to see that so many people were struggling because there was no financial foundation. And so that's why I was like, I'm going to put everything in here. So when this happens again, because recessions happen, depressions happen, economies fall, that if I can give you a strong financial foundation, you can weather the storm and even thrive through it. There'll be another storm. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, I don't have a crystal ball, but there's going to be another setback. Look, I was around and you were around 2008, 2009. Um, we saw a lot of people relearning financial basics then. And now your work is not done. Yeah. What do you think was the big lesson this time? If there is something to learn, what is it? The big lesson where on the back end, the lesson was preparedness. Like, okay, you know, let me um, um, prepare like in, if my industry were to fall today, do I know additional ways to make money? Also beefing up my, my emergency savings. So that, that the back end, you know, that's like hindsight 2020. 
right? But then on the front end, something that I wish I had been ready for, I've always been so nervous ever since my first scam to really dive into the stock market. You know, and I wish mm-hmm. I would have had that skill set to be like, because my sister, she did amazing. She's up like 300, 400% because she spent a lot of time like doing sick, like she enjoys investing. So she mm-hmm. spent a lot of time. So it was like, it was showtime for her. Like, yes, I finally get to like use all these things that I've been learning about. And so I wish I would have, I, I didn't want to learn to fly <laughs> on my way down which is like, you know, like I've fallen out of, the, out of out of the plane and now I'm like, okay, now's the turn to learn how to fly. No, it was just a turn, like time to like hunker down and, and make sure that I landed safely. So on the front end, learning like these skills to navigate so you can almost take advantage of these opportunities, but on the back end, you know, like having this kind of foundational stuff. So I think that that is the, the two core lessons that I think we should have all taken away from 2020. Mm-hmm. If you imagine... This is the teacher in me. I want you to imagine that 2020 was like you, you in 2017, 18, 19, you, you were building this boat. You chopped down the tree. You, you took all the bark off. You, you, you skinned the boat out. Like you took all the, the wood out from the middle and 2020, you had to test your boat in the middle of the choppiest ocean. And that's when you got to see what you've been building. You're like, oh, so we don't float <laughs> or, oh, there's a hole in the side or, oh, the back is too heavy or, oh, I have too many things in the boat. And then we drag the boat to the shore. We get here to 2021, huffing and puffing, but we're very clear now on this is what's wrong with my financial boat. So now 2021, you have the opportunity to make the boat better. So when another storm comes and that boat has to test the waters again, you know that it's better than what it was before. Listeners, if you want more of Tiffany's background, she's been on this show at least a couple of times. The first time was in 2015. That was episode, oh my gosh, 80. Oh, (laughs) what? I'm on like 1100 something right now. I mean, you were one of my go-to must-haves within the first year of the podcast, but that was where we really got into discussing your own journey, the ups, the downs, your background growing up in your family. So if you want more of Tiffany's background, please go back and listen to episode 80. Tiffany, you touched on investing and I think it's really important to dive a little bit into this simply because of where we're at in the investing world with things like Robinhood and GameStop and everyone's claiming to be an investing expert right now. And I feel like it's really giving and it's really not a good look for what we're trying to tell people, which is, you know, the importance of long-term investing, buy and hold. It's creating this, a lot of confusion, I think, in the market. And, And as a result, I think, more hesitance for people to even get in because they're like, if that's what investing is, I don't want anything to do with it. You know, I don't want to have to go on a Reddit thread to figure out where to put my money. Mm-hmm. So give us some really solid advice around investing. So when it comes to investing, you have to know your temperament. You know, are you someone who one has the time and has the temperament to go in and out? Some people are, but I know that I'm not. I'm more of like a set it and forget it kind of girl. So that means for me, I'm looking at ETFs. So this is an exchange exchange traded fund, which is like the love child of a stock and the love child of a mutual fund, which is a basket of stocks. So mm-hmm. it can be bought and sold like a stock in the market, you know, when the market is open, but it's a basket. So you don't have to pick these individual uh, stocks. So if you're someone like who's kind of, I call it in between Jolene, an ETF is great for you. You know, if you're, <laughs> if you're an active Alicia, these are literally names from my book from Get Good With Money. Like, so I, I break down like the type of personality you might have. If you're an active Alicia, you might have plenty of time and you love the in and out. 
And so for you, like purchasing stocks might be a great, great avenue for you. But if you're a passive patty, you know, a mutual fund, although the the um, the um, expense ratios are going to be higher there, meaning that the fees that you pay to be able to invest your money in that fund, right, those are going to be higher um, because most mutual funds are actively managed, meaning a person is actively managing that fund. And most ETFs are passively managed, meaning like there's an algorithm that chooses your stocks for you, right? So if you're super passive, you just want to put your money 50 bucks every two weeks into a mutual fund, that's still better than nothing, you know? So one, it's really, I would say when it comes to investing, you have to understand your temperament and the amount of time that you have to allot for investing and then choose where you're going to go in. Are you going to go with stocks and do everything yourself? Are you someplace in between and you don't mind jumping in the market a little bit, but but through baskets like ETFs? Or are you someone who's like, I don't know anything. Just put my money into a mutual fund mm-hmm. and let them, you know, let that person choose for me. And there's nothing wrong with that. The only mistake I think you can make in investing is to not invest. Yes. You know, like yeah. I was there, like, honestly, our news, like up until like three years ago, I was terrified of like entering into the market because I'd lost mm-hmm. like $35,000 due to a, a scam, an investment scam. And I had so much money in savings. I bought the house that I'm living in, in cash and renovated in cash and paid off my parents' house in cash and paid off my student loan in cash. So I just had so much, even though I knew as a financial educator, you're losing money to cash, but it was the fear to your point of, of being afraid to lose it all. But, you know, what one thing I've learned is this is why you seek out help. This is why you read books. You know, you listen to podcasts like So Money or Brown Ambition because Mandy would kill yeah. me. I did not remember mentioned Brown Ambition in my podcast. <laughs> of course. I just listened to it the other day when you um, were discussing digital blackface. I was so curious about what you do or don't do. Anyway, every, I'm going to, I'm going to, rather than like go into that, because that's a whole other uh, show, listen to Brown Ambition. You brought up temperament. You brought up your own fears. So much of navigating your finances is about harnessing your emotions. What do you discuss in the book on that front? Because I feel like wholeness, you can't really be whole until it's like top down. You need to be whole in your head. You need to feel like you can do this, that you're confident, you know, that you're fearless. So where in your book do you address this or is it sort of throughout? No, I, I address it I in, in the very, very beginning because I, I call it seasoning your meat. Right. And so, <laughs> so to me, your meat, like your brain. Right. So before we get into all the fancy stuff, cooking and learning how to do, how to budget and save. Right. That you, exactly. That you have to do the prep work. So literally it's chapter one. I go through it's a whole money mindset chapter, um, mindset chapter, which helps you to reset first to understand why do I have this money conversation in my head, this money voice in my head? How can I identify it? You know, by listening to what do I say when I make these choices and how can I start to shift it toward one that actually benefits me? So we do the whole, the whole chapter really leans into that because I wanted that as you start to do budgeting and saving and credit and debt and all these other technical parts of money that you were prepared to receive um, that information. So I think it's critically important. Get good with money. 10 simple steps to becoming financially whole. I was so honored to offer a blurb in the back. Yes, you're on the back. I, you know, it is such an honor to be part of this experience and to support you in such a huge way. Thank you for letting me have that space. No, it was like, honestly, it was awesome. They were like, do you know who, who do you know in the money game that you'd like to get a blurb from? I was like, Farnoosh. So how are you celebrating? Oh, that's a good question. All my friends keep asking me. I don't know. 
one of my friends said she wants me to celebrate in an ignorant way because she knows I'm what such a cheapo. Like, so she's like, Tiffany, I want you to do something. Are you a cheapo? I, I am in some tell ways. Me, tell, me, tell me about your. So my, my, my financial voice to myself, sometimes it's that's too expensive. But what I'm really saying is that's too expensive for me. So I'll give you an example. So Mandy, right? So she's who I do my podcast with. Mandy Woodruff, yes. So Mandy bought a Peloton and I was like, oh my God, love it. I heard my husband overheard me talking about it. He's like, well, babe, I can get you, look, we should get a Peloton. And I was like, oh, that's too expensive. But I'm saying for me, so my money voice tells me that I'm not worthy to spend money on myself. Like I've got a niece and nephew, you would think I have like seven kids the way my living room is set up for them. Like they come over here maybe once a week and I'm like, <laughs> my sister's like, but you're also a preschool kid. You preschool teacher. This is like, <laughs> but they have so many toys. So if it was to buy something for someone else or someone is buying something for themselves, I'm like, yes, yes, yes. But as soon as it comes to getting something for myself, it's a money message that I'm trying to switch in myself to say that for some reason I do not deserve to spend money on myself. And so I'm frugal with myself, but with no one else. And so that's something. So I ended up getting myself the Peloton because I wanted to break through and say, Tiffany, one, you have like a year and a half worth of expenses saved for a year. I mean, you're good, right? Two, you've got successful businesses. You make plenty. You know, a Peloton is not cheap, but you have enough and you do deserve. So honestly, to say all that, to say, I don't know how I'm going to celebrate. I have a really hard time celebrating myself. And like being in the moment of it, of being like, this is a big deal. I tend to be like, oh, okay. I'm struggling through it because I still don't know what I'm going to do when, you know, when it, when the, I don't know what I'm going to do to celebrate like this momentous occasion. Um, Cause I would say, honestly, I would say vacation. That's the one thing that, yeah. but, you know, I'm just nervous about. Well, maybe, you know, it's, uh, we're both in New Jersey mm-hmm. where we may or may, I don't know. I, I'm hopeful. I feel like we'll all be vaccinated by the summer. Maybe that's optimistic of me, but. Hopefully, because then I would love, honestly, to go on a vacation. Oh, my gosh. Well, Tiffany, thank you so much for coming. Congratulations. If you do end up celebrating, I do expect an invitation to that party because I know that'll be fun. No, thank you. And if you guys want to get good with your money, you can do so at getgoodwithmoney.com. Perfect. Thanks again to Tiffany for joining us. You can learn more about her book at getgoodwithmoney.com. Remember, if you're enjoying this show, please subscribe, leave a review, share it with a friend. Every Friday, I pick a reviewer of the week on iTunes who will receive a free 15-minute money session with me. So if you want to connect with me one-on-one and talk about your money situation or anything you want, the best way to do that is to leave a review and listen to the Friday shows. Thanks for tuning in, everybody, and I hope your day is so money. Money.